Well, you notice I'm sure that I only selected six verses from chapter 31 to serve as our Old Testament reading tonight, but our sermon text is much longer. We're going to cover from chapter 30, verse 25 through the end of 31, which, yes, is a total of 71 verses. But never fear, I am going to remain committed to what I said to you back in June, and what I said then was I want to be sensitive and to assist those of you who are young parents uh, rather than hinder you as you train uh, your children uh, to worship uh, with us. And I know you are working diligently for their sake, and I want you to know that I am doing my best to work diligently for yours and for theirs. And uh, so I want you to know that I figured out a way to read all 74 verses and still keep my word. Um, We're going to read them all, by the way, and we're going to read them all because Paul uh, says that we're to to devote ourselves to the reading of Scripture publicly. Uh, I'm going to read them all uh, because Paul also said that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And so that means that as we read the text tonight, as those of you heard in Sunday school Uh, just a little while ago, as we read it out loud, we hear God speak. And when He speaks, we will hear what is inerrant and authoritative and infallible. And therefore, uh, we're going to read it all because it'll be that part of the sermon and only that part of the sermon that will be incapable of being wrong. Uh, So, um, but rather than read it and then retell it, I'm going to read and pause and explain maybe a couple things that need to be explained and then read and move on, okay? And there's no outline in the back of the bulletin tonight. Uh, The outline is actually the title, uh, Prosperity, Protection, and Peace, and then I've left space for you to uh, write down what we'll take away from uh, the text tonight, all right, in in the bulletin. Um, So that's, that's how this is going to go. Uh, If you uh, would, please pray with me, as is our custom before we continue. Well, Father, I ask for uh, your Spirit to make the reading and the preaching of your Word tonight an effectual means of enlightening and convincing and humbling us. I ask that it would, um, that you would make it... um, an effectual means of driving us out of ourselves, Um, that it would be an effectual means of drawing us to Christ, of conforming us to the image of Christ, and subduing us to His will, of strengthening us against temptations and corruptions, of building us up in grace, and establishing our hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. And I ask that you would fill me with your spirit. You grant me grace as I attend to this task to which you've called me. And I pray these things in the name of and for the sake of Christ and for His church. Amen. So I hope you'll open your Bibles with me and you're there in verse 25. Let's begin there as we walk through our text tonight. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph... Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, 
for you know the service that I have given you. What Rebecca said was supposed to be just a little while turned into 14 years And Jacob was ready to go home. He was ready to go to his home and his country. He was ready to fulfill the vow that he had taken back in Bethel. He wanted to go to the land that the Lord had said he was going to give him and then promised him. And he wanted to go with his family, the family that he had faithfully served for or for which he had faithfully served. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Now Laban, of course, doesn't want him to go. He has prospered and he's learned through some sort of pagan practice uh, that he has prospered, prospered because of Jacob and Jacob's relationship with his promise-making, promise-keeping God. And Laban obviously didn't want that to end. And so he told Jacob that he would he, he name the price so that we can continue this relationship that we have together. But Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? In other words, I've, I've done everything I can for you. And it's all been for you. You've prospered through me, and I have nothing to show for it. And I can't even take care of my family. So Laban said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Now it appears as though there's been a turn in Jacob's character because his plan wasn't going to benefit him at the expense of Laban. Actually, they were both, Jacob's plan was going to benefit them both. And his plan was not only going to benefit them both, but it was going to cost Laban less than 20% of his flock, which would have been much less than he would have expected. And the details that he hears that Jacob spoke, assured him that nothing was going to be spoken. So this was really all going to work out very well. So hearing that, hearing that he was going to prosper, he says, good, let it be as you have said. But while Jacob's character had changed, Laban's had not. Look at verse 35. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set it a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So Jacob has got to start from scratch, and he has, uh, there are no animals with any recessive traits. So what's he going to do? Well, he relies on what Richard Phillips calls a folklore remedy. 
and basic genetics. And he goes to work. Verse 37. Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. We'll pause here. His character is a work in progress. Okay? Not totally there yet. Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Jacob succeeded. He prospered. And his prosperity was great. It was far beyond just the sheep and the goats. But it's not going to be until we read in verses 4 to 12 of the next chapter that we'll read what we already know. And what we already know is it wasn't the folklore remedy that led him to success. It was the Lord who caused his success. But with success, as we've seen in the past, comes trouble. Look at verse 1. And by the way, this is six years later. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Latham, uh, Laban, sorry Latham, Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Now, if how Laban had been treating Jacob up to this point was a way of exhibiting favor, we can imagine what regarding him um, or what not regarding him with favor might look like. And we can understand the Lord's instruction and his encouragement in verse 3. The Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your father and to your kindred and I will be with you. In other words, it's time for us to go. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where, their, uh, where his flock was, um, somewhere they could be private and, and quiet in their conversation. And he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that 
the goats that mated with the flock were striped and spotted and mottled. And the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Now this is pretty bold because he's talking to Laban's daughters, but he doesn't hesitate to compare their father, their ruthless father, with the faithfulness of God. He reminded them of how Laban had had treated him versus how the Lord had treated him. Laban had, had cheated him, had manipulated him, but the Lord had been with him and had protected him and had prospered him in the midst of uh, in the midst of it all and God who had been for him was now calling him home to go home to that land that he had promised he was calling him back fulfill fulfill the vow that you made to me in return and Jacob wanted his wives to go with him wives and, and children well Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. In other words, you weren't the only one who was a victim of our father's greed and deceit. What he's done to you, he's done to us. But what the Lord has done to you, he's done to us as well. He has prospered you, he's prospered us, he's provided for you, he's provided for us. We're leaving with you. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired and put on Aram to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. So they didn't simply leave without telling him they actually tricked him. How that looks, we don't, we don't quite know, but the language really says that Jacob stole Laban's heart. Interesting. And Rachel, we see, stole his little uh, man-shaped statues that served as his gods. And there are a lot of different ideas regarding um, why, why would, why would she take the time to steal these, uh, these little trinkets? Uh, it could have been to aggravate her father. Um, it could have been to, um, due to his divination. It could have been to the fact that they had no inheritance. We don't, we don't really know. But what we do know, and what we're going to see in just a minute, is that Laban's search for them 
gives us a clue as to how feeble they really were. What, what God has, uh, what person has to, to, to search the way Laban is going to search for their God? Um, and not only that, we're going to see with, with Rachel, um, we're going to see their worth in how she hides them and the deceit she uses or the explanation that she uses to keep them hidden. All very telling. Well, when it was told uh, Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the airman, in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? And we all know that Jacob didn't drive them away. Laban drove them away. It was Laban's fault that they were leaving. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and with tambourine and lyre and, and why did you not permit me to kiss my own sons and daughters farewell and we all know he would not have given them a going away party now you have done foolishly it is in my power to do you harm Laban is finally being honest it's at this point that he's honest we get an idea that this was his intent all along his intent all along was to do them harm. And we get this idea because of the words Moses uses. Notice, pursued, overtook, captives of the sword, and even pitched his tent because there's, there's the idea in this uh, description of pitching his tent that it, it involves a, a, a military setup, a military camp being set up, not, not just the setting up a tent to sleep in. So Moses lets us know that Laban's motives were not good. There was more to this. This was, a, this was a mission of aggression. It wasn't simply a, oh, I need to catch up and say proper goodbyes. But then he says, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my God's? Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid. Remember that phrase. For I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. But she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. And it's at this point that Jacob has finally had enough. 
Notice, then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. It's been 20 years. Just, just imagine, 20 years. He's been cheated. He's been manipulated. He's been lied to. He's been used as a pawn. And he finally, finally steps in back and takes back the responsibility that he had abdicated. Jacob said to Laban, and we we need to hear the frustration here, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before me. Set it before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. And I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. For my hand you required it. Whether stolen by day or stolen by night, there I was. By day The heat consumed me and the cold by night and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I've been in your house. I've served you 14 years for your two daughters. I've served you six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. In other words, I've done everything. I've done everything you've asked. I've taken the losses on myself. You haven't felt a a bit. You've done nothing but prosper. And it's all been because of my work. And you know as well as I do that you weren't going to let us go without a fight. Had my God, who by the way is my father's God and my grandfather's God, had he not intervened, you would have sent me away. If he had not intervened and protected me, you would have sent me away with nothing. Just like I arrived, I would have left 20 years later with nothing. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. He's he's not listening. They're not his anymore. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us us make a covenant, you and I. Let it be, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone, set it up as a pillar, and Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. 
Laban called it Yeager Sahadutha, which is Aramaic, but Jacob called it Galid, which is Hebrew. And notice from this point forward, Jacob doesn't speak. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Now, the naming of this place in two different languages is important because it reflects that they are not the same family. They are not the same people, and they are not the same nation. And they obviously have a different religion, and they obviously serve and worship radically different gods. And this was not only a treaty, but it was a setting up of a border, and this border would be contested in the future, and we read about that in First and Second Kings. But for now, it would be a boundary, and this boundary was going to allow Jacob to serve the Lord and his family without the external interference of his father-in-law. And in commenting on this treaty, Richard Phillips says this, Throughout the making of this covenant, Jacob remained largely silent. Despite the insults and the injuries given to him by his father-in-law, Jacob was a willing peacemaker. The result was that the two camps spent the night in harmony. And so we read in verse 55, early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. So what do we take away? A lot to choose from. I'm going to give you three. Three things for us to consider tonight. First is this. Remember I told you to remember that statement that Jacob feared uh, Laban. But for us tonight, we need to remember that God's promises, His presence, His provision, His protection, and His providence are all antidotes for fear. Jacob said that God had been with him. Jacob had said, He's provided for me. Jacob said that He had protected me, all as He had promised. And yet Jacob, when, he, when it comes down to it, Jacob told Laban that he left because he was afraid. He left without telling because he was afraid of him. So what was Jacob doing? Jacob was forgetting, you know, in the midst of his circumstances, he was forgetting everything that had happened and he allowed his emotions to trump what he knew to be true. 
He believed the lie that said he was vulnerable instead of believing what the Lord had promised and what the Lord had had proven to be true over 20 years. Brothers and sisters, may I just simply say, do not be like Jacob. Do not be like Jacob. Rest in God's promises that are yours in the Lord Jesus. Rest in His presence because He has said He will never leave you or forsake you. Rest in His providential care of you through which He is bringing about what's best for you. Rest in His provision for you because He has promised to meet your every need. Rest in His protection of you because the Father who has called you is faithful. The Son who has laid down His life for you is faithful. The Spirit, the Spirit who has sealed you is faithful. The Spirit, the the Father, Son, and the Spirit, the God who saved you, has you in the palm of His hand. And He will never let you go. As our New Testament reading said, we can confidently say, the Lord is our helper. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is your helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He will hold me fast. That's first. Second, in the words of Richard Phillips, the Lord sometimes uses outward difficulties to move us into paths of obedience. The Lord sometimes uses outward difficulties to move us into the paths of obedience. Jacob's original vow to return and the fact that he had heard through the dream from the Lord should have been enough for Jacob to go and depart and to go to Canaan. But as is typical and usually the case, he needed a little help. He needed a little help to take action and to begin moving in that direction. So God created a scenario And that scenario was not only a scenario in which he would be ready to move on and away from Laban, but that he had to move on and away from Laban. And brothers and sisters, I believe the Lord helps us in the same way today. Because you and I both know that though we desire to obey and though the Word tells us to obey, we need help. And he often uses circumstances, he'll use trials, he'll use interruptions or changes in our plans, he will use obstacles and detours that, that he himself will establish in order to put us on and move us forward on the path of obedience. Thirdly, Salvation is from the Lord. Our salvation is from the Lord. The folklore remedy of laying these sticks, these striped pieces of wood in front of the sheep goats in order to bring about the the material blessings of all of these different kinds of sheep and goats was just that. It was nothing more than a myth and a legend. 
Jacob learned that the Lord had to intervene, period. And so it is with our eternal blessing of salvation. God has graciously laid the cross of Christ in front of us. But it is not a myth. It is historical fact. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Christ died, he was buried, he rose again from the dead, and he appeared to 500 plus people, including Paul. This is no myth, it is no legend. And yet, we still need God to intervene. We heard it in Sunday school tonight. We need God to intervene. We need Him to make us spiritually alive because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We need Him to give us, to grant us the gift of faith, apart from which we would not believe or trust in His Word or believe and trust in Christ and His work. He needed to intervene and grant us faith. We need Him to give us eyes to see His death that's been laid before us for what it is. The atoning work of Christ, paying the penalty for our sin. We need Him to intervene on our behalf. Give us ears to hear His voice, the voice of Christ, our great shepherd, who called us by name and drew us to Himself. He alone, through Him alone, we receive the forgiveness that we need. And we needed God to intervene. And we also needed Him to give us this meal we're about to eat. We needed Him to give this to us because we need our faith nurtured and strengthened. The meal Laban and Jacob ate ratified a treaty And that treaty brought about peace, but it brought about peace because it kept them apart. The meal we're about to eat, the meal we're about to eat ratifies a covenant that brought peace between us and God by bringing us together because we've been united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this meal not only strengthens our union with Him, it strengthens our communion with one another. Thank God that He intervenes for you and for me. Let's pray together. Father, by Your Spirit and grace, would You enable us to receive the Word with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. For your glory and for our good, for the sake of Christ and His church, I pray. Amen.